Hello, everyone. We here at Faith and Fable are happy to announce our one-year anniversary giveaway is going on this very minute. Crossway Publishing is sponsoring our one-year $100 giveaway in the form of the entire New Testament ESV journaling Bible set. This 19-volume set, including every book of the New Testament, each volume is thin, portable, and perfect for personal Bible study, small group Bible study, or taking notes through a sermon series. So don't miss your chance to win by giving us five stars on iTunes and leaving a review. Here's the deal. To be eligible for this drawing, not only must you leave a five-star rating, but you've got to give an outstanding review to satisfy the expectations of Mark Mueller. So head on over to iTunes for your chance to win. This is Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast where we discuss common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. I'm Lena. I'm Matt Henry. I'm Matt Miller. And I'm Mark. All right, guys, we're in it right now, so you know what to do. Rate, review, tell us what you think. And on the topic of review, if you're going to rate and review, and if you're going to give two stars, you know, actually, let's, let's back up a second. If you're going to go on iTunes and put us on blast, don't give us two stars. Give us one star. Go all the way. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to leave it at that. Well, and also be coherent. Yeah. Let's not talk about Buddhas. Anyways, keep going. <laughs> well, yeah, never mind. We said we weren't going to talk about that. I just... I got, yeah, yeah, but he I got, got fired up. He got, got fired heated. up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you put one star, then everybody reading the reviews is like, oh, okay, one star. You know, like when you go on Amazon, there's like the one star and you're like, oh, okay, you just don't know how to order things online. So I'm just going to ignore you. Well, that's, I think, yeah, it's the principle of the two star. Like, what the freaking two star? Well, they don't go all the way. <laughs> I, I have it. to agree with you. All right. You know, that is, that is kind of your personality. That's not embittered at all. Yeah. You feel better? No, I feel good. I got enough on my back. I'm fine. Your back or your chest? Uh, chest. Back? I don't that's know. How I don't know what that's how he. That's what. See, he burst the button on his shirt again. Well, that's not. That's a whole, that's <laughs> that's a whole just, other. That's a whole other story. Pure pectoral oh. power. Pectoral <laughs> power. <laughs> <laughs> you're the. In you're a the belly full of jelly. Yeah. Oh, my, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, yeah just don't take another deep breath. I don't want to get hit by one of those buttons. <laughs> well, what are we talking about tonight? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to talk about the question. Well. Let me introduce it. Uh, Matt's, uh, Matt Miller's preaching through the book of Luke, um, and he came to chapter 5, where Jesus calls his first disciples to follow him on mission. Um, and it was in light of that, he and I were talking, and he thought it would be a, a, a good thing to do a short series simply to remind the church regarding the mission that Jesus has called us as well to, that we are all people called uh, to mission. Um, and so, he he introduced the whole thing by a general sermon uh, on the Great Commission from Matthew 28, which he then has spent a couple weeks expanding. I think you did two extra sermons on that, right? Yeah. And well, that, I was going to stop at the first one. But. Yeah, I know, but I keep provoking you to go more. And then, and then you Not did- Not you. 
well, other people. Other people, but I was fanning the flames. Yeah, true. Um, but also, and then you finished, you are done, right? Yeah, I'm done. Um, on Psalm 67. Psalm uh, you did that this Sunday. Um, but. Yeah. What? Well, so um, during the, the series, um, I kept trying to say um, that I wasn't going to bring much personal application to the Great Commission. And my reason for that is because, as I said up front, Jesus doesn't even do that. So he gives he gives the Great Commission, which you know the main command is make disciples, and then it's modified by those three participles of going, baptizing, teaching. So those are the principles. But they they take on an imperatival force. Yeah. Force. So they're essentially commands. Then yes, um, they're drawing from that imperative of make disciples. Um, and so I said I wasn't going to give a lot of practical application because what going going looks like in your life is going to be very different than, you know, the person sitting next to you or behind you. Um, and so the underlying principle there, though, is that the Great Commission, which is in Matthew 28, is not merely given to the 11. Um, I mean, that's the immediate context, um, but actually to every future disciple of Christ. That's the implication. Um, and, and, and there's a reason for that, because a disciple makes, when, disciples. makes disciples, and they, they're following their disciple uh, the one who disciples him and so it becomes this unbroken train exactly yeah right christ was sent in the world he then sends the men into the world these 11 bring about their work and we are all the offspring of somebody yeah and, and that's always a discussion i mean then you know that 40 question series the one just came out on the Great Commission recently, and there's a whole chapter devoted to to whom was the Great Commission given. And it's always a discussion, was it the original 11 or the church in general? Because you don't see a whole lot of this in Paul and so on and so forth. But if you understand that what it means to be a disciple is that you're then in the business of making disciples and disciple making disciples, and that answers your question. Right. <laughs> and settles it's, the it's conversation. Not, yeah. Yeah. Um, so in light of that, though, the point is that every Christian, some capacity, has to understand themselves as a missionary in their context. Um, and again, what it looks like for for a person, for instance, going into an office, it's that's going to look very different than what a stay-at-home mom does. Um, and so everyone's a missionary, they're a discipler within their context that God has placed them. But what is the non-negotiable is that every Christian has to put on that hat of, an, of a missionary because it's what they are. Um, plain and simple. Either you're you're a faithful missionary or you're an unfaithful one, but you're a missionary nevertheless. And that that was at the heart of the replant we did was trying to reorient the church from looking inward at themselves and kind of protect themselves from the world, but rather recognizing that we gather together on a sunny Sunday to worship, but to be equipped, right? Um, so that we can then, with that, go back into the world with the biblical mindset and and worldview um, armed with the gospel back into our mission fields. And so it's a whole basis of what our church Missio Day Fellowship functions to to try to be. Yeah. So I, I, I asked you, I wanted and others uh, to expand um, uh, on that. Um, and so you then developed an entire uh, sermon on each one of the principles of the Great Commission. Yeah. Um, of of going baptizing and teaching. Right. I didn't I didn't do one on baptism because we're Baptists. Yeah. <laughs> so um, anyway, um, so I I 
the the one I got, I think I don't want to use the word kickback, but one that created discussion was the one on going. Um, and so I made in that sermon, I guess what I would say are some pretty radical statements. And though I know I wasn't going to talk about personal application, I just kind of threw some things out, you know. And so I said, um, well, first of all, understand that part of what it means to, you cannot make a disciple unless you're first obedient to that first participle of go. Um, right. There's a proactive mentality that right. you must have. Um, it's not sit, wait for people to come to you, come to your feet, learn from you. It's you have to go, you have to go after people. This is what Jesus did. He never discipled the crowds who were coming to him. Rather, while the crowd is standing there in Luke 5, he goes over the fishermen who are tired from a day's worth of work and he goes and seeks them out and says, follow me. Um, and so I asked the question, for instance, because we're a church planting church, what if you were asked to go with a church planter to plant a church? Could you do that? Isn't even on your radar. Yeah. Is it something that you would consider? Um, because with that, you'd have to quit your job, potentially, right? Depending on where we're going. Right. Now, our first church plant is nearby. Right. But we did have actually one person who did make a job shift so that he could he work quit up his in job. Milwaukee, right? Yeah. And sell your house. Right. Pack your family up. Maybe find, a, of course, a new job. And the idea, though, is then get to work bringing the gospel into that new context where the gospel right now is not. Right. I mean, that's the idea of church planting. Well, um, and in in an American context, what you're describing there is actually rather radical. Mm -hmm. um, now, it's interesting because in many other contexts, uh, we go, we've gone around the world. They wouldn't think two seconds about that. It's just like, I've been given this gift of the gospel and faith. I've got to go. Um, but because we are so connected to our things, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm not being a trying to be a jerk there. I'm just, you know, we we have so many possessions that tie us. Yeah. Um, well, and, the, and just the nature of our culture right now, how everything is driven toward us, um, even in technological advances, you know, Amazon Prime. I don't want to go out to the store, just bring it to me. And two days is not fast enough. I want it now. Um, you know, now we're figuring out how I can get the local grocery store to deliver food to my front porch because I don't want to go to the store. I'm not dogging on that stuff. I'm just saying that's the culture that we live in. And yep. so that starts to shape our process. Um and so in light of that, though, there, there were some initial questions asked about what then does that mean? Um, what might that look like? You know, and of course, it was a mixed response to that sermon. Um, some really loved the idea. Some began to self-examine um, in, in thoughtful ways and in good ways. And I was very encouraged by that response just at our church. Um, others, though, felt that it needed to be a little bit more nuanced um, and that, you know, they'll say things like, um, not all need to be actual goers, but some need to be senders. Um, and my basic response to that is no. Now that's your basic, there's explanation behind right. that. But yeah. Um, and, and it's a distinction that we've made today in the church, you know, there's senders and there's goers. Um, and that's true, especially when it, and it's a good distinction and a valid one, especially when it comes to the idea of global missions. You see in Romans chapter 15, and this is the text that's brought up, is Paul is gathering collections to go to Spain, um, which is actually why we'd argue that, and this has nothing to do with this, but that Romans is 
actually a missionary letter. Um, you know, because at the end there, he's gathering collections, and so he's laying out the mission and what he's all about. Um, but people will use that text. They'll say, look, he, he's collecting funds for the sake of this missionary enterprise, and that's good and right. That's a helpful distinction. Um, but I would say it's a helpful distinction only when it comes to global mission. Um, having said that, though, I find that many don't think about the Great Commission and its practical applications in the context of local mission which is a very valid category that we have to think about. Yeah, well, in historically we've we would call that evangelism, not missions. And one of the things we've been trying to do over these last several years at Missio is to try to change that and get people to understand that you're a missionary no matter what. Um, we're, um, we are in a constant state of testifying to who who we love, what we love, uh, how we worship, and we're either calling people. Uh, to come and see and believe in the risen Lord or we're not, mm -hmm. but we're all functioning as, as missionaries. And, right. and so it, once you take on that missionary mindset, you know, in other words, you can take a person and send them on a short-term mission and all of a sudden they're eager to share the gospel. They're excited. They're, they're going to be risk takers because they're missionaries now. Right. 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 right? Yeah. Uh, but then they come back into their context of their home and somehow that hat comes off and now they're just, you know, local church going Sam. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to yeah. slowly, we would like to go quicker, but it's yeah. a slow and it's change. A, it's a cultural shift right. for sure. Um, and so I, I just kind of wanted to encourage the people to start thinking more radically about missions in their local context. Um, and one of the things I talked about how is how the U.S. right now is just a very ripe field for missions. Talking about when you think about missions in terms of discipling the nations, plural, um, because many foreign countries are entering into our context. I mean, this has historically been what's happened throughout the U.S., but um, or the history of the U.S., but even more so now, um, because you're not having to hop on a boat and spend two months to get to the U.S. I mean, you can get here like that. Opportunities ripe. We're now becoming more increasingly global as you know, as a culture, and so foreign countries are now sending their missionaries into the U.S. Um, Whereas historically, the U.S. used to be the major sending hub to the nations. They're now sending them into here because they understand how ripe the U.S. is for yeah. missions. So you have actually two types of unevangelized people in America. You have the ones who are are the, the corrupting influence of this society we live in that is, you know, dispensing with all things Christian as fast as it can. So you're raising up whole generations of kids who have never heard of Jesus uh, who are Americans. Uh, but you also have, it's very interesting, the people that we should be going to are coming to America. Right. Uh, I mean, we're not talking about the Europeans coming. We're talking about people from the Middle East mm -hmm. and places that we're literally killing ourselves trying to get into with missionaries. They're moving here and... And so both, in both sense, you have this incredible ripe field um, mm -hmm. to, that you can bring the gospel to. Yeah. But we have to have eyes that can see that. Right. And you just think about how, um, you know, if you were to run the statistics on your own neighborhood, how incredibly diverse that neighborhood would be. Um, that You could have an Ethiopian living seven houses away from you and not even know it. But, you know, we're always talking about going to Ethiopia as a nation. Right. But so it's, we're in a very unique position strategically as Americans um, where we have so many 
people from all over the world and people groups from all over the world coming into our context. Well, just in your church plant, you have Hmong, you have- um, Venezuelan. Venezuelan, Mexican, Mexican. what else? There's somebody else. There is. I there is, I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, and we're not massive, yeah. Um, so in light of this, so what do we mean that every Christian is a missionary? Um, that's the question. Um, and my response is, we mean just that. I mean, it's not complex. Every Christian is a missionary. Now, part of this is that most churches have, historically, this is the way it's been, certainly, but many churches have mission pastors or a mission committee, um, which is not an inherently bad thing, but it does communicate something to the people about the nature of missions, um, that missions typically is somebody else's job, right? And so missions, um, mission is, is a certain category of Christian, in other words, um, somebody perhaps who has a unique evangelistic burden and, and so they'll become a foreign missionary. Um, and so we'll have to qualify missionary with foreign, <laughs> which is a, a non-biblical term. Um, and so again, here's where we've created that distinction of, of senders and goers. And I would argue the result of that certain of that is a certain kind of mindset then toward the idea of missions and missionaries, um, which has not been helpful. And I would say devastating, especially to the American church um, in, in the fact that we're so, so consumeristic. And, and again, this goes back to the core of what it means to be part of Missio Dei Fellowship, our church, is it, it what because it's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, is that you're now a missionary because God is a missionary God and he sent Jesus into this world, and Jesus says, as I was sent into this world, so I send you. And so if you follow him, by definition, you now enter into a call to be a missionary. It's it's non-negotiable, and we, we really want to emphasize that. It really is non-negotiable. And so the question becomes, so what does this look like in your life, in my life, in every Christian's life? And that's where the Christian's I'm, I'm sorry, the questions become more uncomfortable because now it, it's great when you're going to think about it in concept, right? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, amen. You know, we need to see people come to Christ. We need to see more baptisms and, and blah, 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 right? But all of a sudden it's like, okay, so what are you doing? Right. Uh, the spotlight's on you and it can get very, very awkward and very uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and, and we understand that. We're, we're not stupid. Right. I mean, we're, we're aware that it becomes uncomfortable, but the answer is not a pushback or, or something. It, it's then let's talk. Right. Let's, let's think this through. Let's begin to well, figure it's out. It's uncomfortable for us who, like for me, so I'm, I'm preaching this series. It's not like I'm just hollering at people and not thinking about the implications of my own life personally well, yeah. either. And so it becomes uncomfortable for me. Well, and we, we've had these discussions as well um, on, it also becomes, are we being faithful to equip them to do it, right? right? So it also gets, the spotlight gets turned even brighter on, on the, those who are the teachers because our job is to equip you. And so are we failing to equip you? Is that part of it? Um, it that, that could be it. And so right. all of that is the fruit of a simple comment that you made in uh, Luke chapter five that right. has caused us to think of. And so we thought it'd be a good podcast too, because we figure if it's something that we're struggling and thinking through and wrestling with, surely 
others are. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So what is meant by go in Matthew 28? Yeah. So in global mission, this is somewhat obvious. Yeah. <laughs> um, so um, some people will have to go in order to reach the unreached nations. Um, plain and simple. Um, the point that I brought out though to, is is in, in the thing that's kind of on my heart, just in the context of having planted a church, is what does this look like though in terms of local mission? And that's the question that, that's where the, the series was coming out of uh, in large measure. Um, and so again, the Great Commission is most often thought about in terms of that global mission, but it's, it's something that has to happen locally uh, as well. Um, and we, you know, we've talked about how you know, the U.S. is now that large importer of foreign missionaries. Um, but what's the reason for that? Um, they understand the ripeness of the land. And one of the things I pointed out was that missiologists are calling uh, the U.S. the new Roman Empire um, because of how fertile it is. And there's one language, a lot of these barriers historically that are barriers to effective mission aren't a reality for us. Um, something like language that we don't think about, but if you go to a different country, I mean, even trying to teach people who are Christians and leaders in churches, something like theology, the language is a massive barrier for us. Yeah. And, and how much more when you don't necessarily have a translator, you have to learn a new language and learn the ways of the people just so you can bring the simple message of the gospel to them. Yeah, and I was talking to, in fact, a couple who were in China, and they, they were saying that you never will become Chinese. Right. <laughs> you know, that, that there are, you know, thousands of years of culture that are just woven into being Chinese and, and, and you don't understand. And, and we've stepped on toes inadvertently in Ethiopia. We don't mean to. Uh, we're just, we don't think like an Ethiopian. And they don't even know that they're doing those things until we fail to do them. And then we realize, ooh, that was awkward. And we're not sure what we did wrong. And they don't even know sometimes how to explain why, what happened was not right. So, you know, along with that, it's important for us to remind ourselves that we belong and are a church planting church. That's what Missio Dei Fellowship, when we did that replant years ago, uh, the whole goal was to begin to plant churches. Mm -hmm. And so we're seeking to put in a strategic manner uh, smaller churches in and key locations so that we can plant the un, uh, or reach the unreached. Yeah. In other words, we're not trying to do an attractional model of you drive long distances to come to us, uh, but rather we're trying to keep it purposely small and yeah. keep multiplying outward. So, and well, go ahead. Well, I mean, so right now it's a little bit easier in that the churches, you know, that we're trying to plant will likely be within driving range of Kenosha, right. which is your church. The mother church. Yeah. Um, you know, but at some point, Lord willing, we want to keep expanding. And so you're not going to be able to just do that. Um, you, you, the point is you may have to go, right? You may have to pack up and, and go somewhere with a church planter. Um, and I, and I think this is where it got difficult. I think this is where it got uncomfortable. Um, and I would argue the, one of the reasons perhaps why is this idea of having a consumeristic mentality versus a sacrificial mentality, which is what drives many American churches, um, even ones who attend well-taught churches. Yeah, that's just the thing that they're consuming. Right. Um, you know, so for us in our tribe, in our lane or whatever term you want to use, it's easy to speak against consumeristic Christianity um, when you're in a 
quote, well-taught church. You know, you're not going to the church for the rock climbing wall. You're not going for the laser light show or the music, whatever. And so we're like, oh yeah, they're just consumeristic and attractional or whatever. Um, and so it's easy then to live in an echo chamber and start talking about how we need to be more word-centered and you need to get into a word-centered church. But I would argue that what many miss who are part of a word-centered church or they might miss is that they too also are consumeristic. And we were talking about this in a different episode, but the only difference is the commodity in that consumeristic mentality is, is the teaching. Yeah. It's the word of God. It's they want theology. to have good con- uh, teaching that convicts them. They have no intention of applying any of it, obeying. <laughs> they just want to really feel convicted. Yeah. And all, one of the things that you and I talk about often is that people who are in well-taught churches will be held to a higher standard. Um, it's that parable of the talents. You're given more, now more is required of yep. you. And that's just the truth of the scripture. That's what Jesus lays out. Um, and so in light of that, what, what people are being taught f- from the word of God, um, or in light of what they're being taught, it's important to think about how then that word of God is now working out in their lives in a very practical sense. Yeah, and so Paul talks about that, that we're equipping the saints. That's why God has given pastors and teachers. We are, we're equipped so that we can be sent. Um, and so if churches just keep gathering to themselves uh, people, how is faithfulness to the mission being realized? Um, yeah. You mean, it's easy, and that's where all the programs get going, right? Because right? what we got all these people going, we got to somehow give them things uh, rather than equip them so they can go right back into their own world. Yeah. Um, so we would argue that radical decisions can be made and really ought to be made uh, if you're understanding the promises of the Great Commission right, um, as you understand them, they should begin to fuel at least your consideration of sacrifice and risk. Okay, yeah. maybe that would be me. In fact, w- you and I were just talking about a couple that I just learned of uh, who went to told the next guy who's going to be planting a church through us uh, that when they go, they're going to move with them. Mm-hmm. Which I was like, yeah. so there's a couple that has taken your they heated it, right. yeah, your yeah. words and said, "Huh, we could do that." We're going to do it, and that just it made me sad on one level because I love them. <laughs> on another level, I was so proud of them. Yeah, yeah, um, and and it's interesting because that 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 thing at the end of the Great Commission, we always use a throwaway phrase where he says, "And behold." And what's interesting is we always talk about how there's one command in the Great Commission, which is to make disciples. There's actually two imperatives. Um, the second one is that term behold. Yeah. And he commands, listen up. And he says, and behold, I am with you always each and every day. Um, in other words, I will resource you and whatever you need every single day as you're being faithful to this command, this mission. Right. Um, and so when you combine that within the last thing I preach on Psalm 67, um, where this whole entire thing's about the glory of God, but in that, in that process, He's also very interested in your joy and your gladness. Let the nations be glad um, that your joy is, is maximized as you're faithful to the mission and glorify his name among the nations. Yeah. Now, then you told me about this church that just really opened your eyes to what could be if, right. we, if, yeah. if people bought into it. So talk, tell us. Well, there's a, there's a church, um, Long Hollow Baptist Church in, in Nashville, I believe. Boy, that's got to be a... Yeah. Tennessee Long Hollow. <laughs> Long Hollow Baptist Church. Um, and and the guy, the lead guy there is he's basically the discipleship guru, though he wouldn't probably like that term, but for the 
within North American Mission Board. Like he's just really passionate about discipleship and which is part of the SBC. Yeah. And he's he's cranking out a lot of really, really good resources. Um and but what he's trying to do personally within his church is he wants to plant a church in every single Sen City, I think within the next ten years. And there's thirty two of those, right? Yeah. A Sen City is a city identified by the North American Mission Board that is ripe strategically for church planting. So it's going to be these bigger cities. Yeah, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Chicago, Chicago. Right. Which is our two that are in our area. Right, right. We're not one. <laughs> yeah. Now, that's a tall order to plant a church in every Sen city, which is 32 of them within the next 10 years. And that that's in America and he's in Tennessee, right. which means that's a, yeah. Well, somebody's moving. <laughs> yeah. And well, North America. So you got to think Canada. Oh, that's right, and, Toronto right. and stuff like that. Yeah, um, and they've already done five or six. And so when I heard this, um, I frankly, I was shocked, but at the same time, incredibly intrigued um, because I didn't, the question I'm asking is, how is something like that possible? Uh, how, do you, how do you so much change the culture of your church to where you can get that kind of buy-in where people are actually willing to quit their jobs <laughs> pack up their families, move, find new jobs, get behind a church planner and start getting to work in a context that really needs the gospel. And he just started to talk about how he systematically began to create um, new culture in his church. And he did it through basically, I'll just use the term lymph node system, um, which were his small groups. And that's where he started. And in those small groups, he started something called a D group, which just meant discipleship. Um, and so just a couple of people, in the larger small group would get together and they would begin to ask each other questions over the course of, you know, eight to 10 months. And it was one of two questions. This is literally all they did. Um, so who did you engage with the gospel this week? And then they just tell about it. Um, and the follow-up to that was two questions. That's one, how did it go? Or two, if you didn't, what prevented you from doing that? Um, and the goal wasn't to get a whole bunch of people saved. The goal was to begin to change the way that people think and the culture of the small groups and, and the church then at large is just be thinking all the time proactively, intentionally in terms of mission. Um, and so that's how he did it. Um, and so it was very intriguing to me. And I realized many churches, especially in North America, don't think that way. Um, we're very consumeristic. Again, even well-taught churches where the scripture is the commodity. Um, so again, I mean, how, how do you do that? It's by every person understanding they're a missionary. Um, at our church, it seems that God is giving to us now people who want to plant churches, men who want to be church planters, yeah. which is something that you've been dreaming about and praying about for years. Years. Yeah. Um, and so now we're having them, but now we're running into the issue of how do we mobilize the people to now catch that vision and support this um, in word and in deed. Right. And that's the key. And that's the reality because we have a couple ready and they're eager to go um, and we want them to go. But but now we could send them like the parachute mentality, but that's not part of how we're trying to do it. We're trying to send them with a group of believers to support them and encourage and be yeah. part of it. And and enter into a community, a, a nearby community. We're not even asking for a long distance, uh, but we're going to need others that want to go with them. Yeah, and so and that means that the church is constantly needing to be reproducing itself and raising up new uh, men and women who are 
mature and ready to go. Yeah. Um, and that's hard yeah. because some people still come to the church with the idea of what they're getting right? rather than why are they coming. They're coming to be trained to be sent out eventually. Yeah. And that, and I don't, I, you know, we're, we're still working through how do we grab a hold of them and have them understand. No, we actually meant you. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's hard. It is hard. Yeah. And it's not meant to like, to shame anybody who's not, you know, feeling like, oh, that's me 100%. Um, Because people are different. People are in just different situations in life or whatever. Um, But my hope is that there will be some who hear that and want to answer that call, so to speak. Yeah, so so we're not talking, the first impulse for a lot of people will be, well, you're just asking, you want me to start giving some money toward that, right? And it's like, no, it's a lot more than just finances. Um, it's going to ultimately require that biblical conviction that we said about every possible way so far, uh, that mission is your calling, because it's a call of every Christian right. to be bringers of the gospel. And so there's a prayer of how is the church praying, you know, toward the advancement of the gospel at a local level. Um, There's that practical side, uh, a willingness then to move or potentially suffer a loss. You you have a guy that... Yeah. Well, and you mentioned him. It's um, when we planted the church, he was working... 45 minutes to an hour south of where Kenosha was, and we were planting 45 minutes north of where Kenosha was. So he lived in Kenosha, but he drove down there and basically approached him and said, hey, uh, I think you'd be a great guy. Would you consider coming up and doing this? And his response was, love my job, love my church, love my small group, but let's go. And his point was, I'm very content and happy, but I realize I can't remain that way. But that's typical Jared, right? Yeah. Well, he's also a single guy. So um, again, not trying to shame other people who are in different areas or stages of life, but um, he he said, yeah, let's let's go do it. And so he came and the Lord provided him a new job. A um, wife. A wife, uh, (laughs) a house, bought a truck this weekend. (laughs) So, I mean, the Lord's, the Lord's blessing him though. Now he's encountering other kinds of just intangible struggles with that. And it's encouraging to listen to him talk because he realizes, man, now that I've been faithful to this, I should expect hardship in some ways. Yeah. And, and he's seen that. And even that shows me that, that mature mindset. Well, it's been fun to watch him because by stepping out of his comfort, because he is a guy that is very organized in his life and uh, and he stepped out of that and and served and he's just been so faithful. It it has produced a lot of unique stresses in his life, but also um, how God has grown him right. in, in the midst of that. These are some of these are situations he would never have encountered perhaps um, right. because everything was nice and orderly. Um, but by going... Yeah. It, it opens up situations. And my, and my reason for that example is just to show how, you know, if you believe God is faithful to his word, um, then he's going to be faithful to that last point in the Great Commission. I will provide you with whatever you're going to need to do this. You know, so why fret, why worry? Um, and you, so I was encouraged just to see a real live example of that. Well, and Kim and I uh, discovered that in a beautiful way when we, many, 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 oh my goodness, so many years ago, decided I wanted to be trained in the Bible 
to be a pastor. And we left Houston with just a little bit of money. She's pregnant with her, our first. And we drove across the United States to uh, L.A. And we had no job. We had no place to live. We didn't have anything. But it all was motivated off of the idea that I had been reading about um, George Mueller and being a man of prayer and how he would never ask for money to support those or orphans. Uh, and yet, God always provided. And there's a story that after he had died, um, it would have been his 100th birthday, and his son-in-law was continuing the ministry and was a man of prayer as well. And he was just, he, he wanted to celebrate with banana cake, for all of all things. And so he uh, had a little bit of money, and he gave it to the servants. They'd go down to the marketplace, see if you might be able to find some. And then he got on his knees and began to pray. And while he was praying, he heard a wagon. And he went out to investigate, and this guy's like, look, um, I was on the way to market. My wagon or my horse has developed a lame leg. Uh, I can't go. Would you like these bananas? It was an entire wagon of bananas. I literally began to weep because I was praying during that time of, Lord, should we go? I mean, if for me, it was, man, we're, we're going to leave our uh, church and we're, she's pregnant. Is this wise? I mean, this, that's, we don't want to presume. And, and I remember saying, if God is concerned about bananas, then surely he'll take care of me. Right. And that's, it was literally that simple mindset that moved us all the way across the United States. And we, we can testify that now, uh, decades later, God has never, ever, ever once left us, uh, failed to provide sufficient. Um, and also through the many trials grow, have grown us. And, and I would invite people to just think about that, that it's not just for the pastor. It's not for that one unique person right. who's going to go off into, uh, some vague mission field. It's it's all of us. If we would just say, you know what, God will be with us. He 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 can't abandon you because it would be unfaithful to His own promise. Right. Um, that they might begin to see things about themselves that need to grow, which is good. It never is fun, but it's good. Yeah. Um, but also, more importantly, is that they'll see the incredible faithfulness of God. Um, yeah. Simply because they're trusting him and they have to trust him because it's like, man, I'm outside my comfort range right now. Yeah. And that's exactly why I ended that whole series with Psalm 67. Yeah. Um, that God is most passionate about the glorification of his name through converts. And so the psalmist begins by praying, bless us, give us physical blessing so that we can, in other words, provide, but abundantly so, so that we can then bless others who will then earn, in turn bless your name. Yes. And so. Let me ask you a one-word answer. Should all Christians go? Yes. So these are our thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, until next time, make sure to tune in, join the conversation. Let us know what you think about the Great Commission and how it's impacted your life. And don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, and review. Follow us on Twitter. Leave a rating and a comment if you want to win. And tell all your friends. 